Thank you, thank you, old-timey. How was your weekend? It was okay, Mon. Nothing special. How's about you? Well, I went down the Meltdown Comics the other day to get a copy of Chew. You, you remember Chew, right, guys? Written by uh, past guest John Lehman? Of course! Well, while I was there, I noticed that Shia LaBeouf released a photo book that he did with Merlin Manson. That's insanity, right? But... It's, it's nice to know that he's finally reached that Corey Feldman, Michael Jackson stage, isn't it? <laughs> oh, thank you guys. You guys are too kind. Listen, I know that we've got a great lineup of guests, so let's not waste any time. Let's just dive right into it. Old timey, go ahead and cue it up, man. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves for Skyping with the Stars! And we're back with our segment, Skyping with the Stars. Uh, today's star is from All That and escapists top five uh lisa Foles. it's a, it's actually foils but i'll forgive you this time foils <laughs> i have this i have this ongoing thing specifically with the skyping of the stars if you actually listen to every episode i say the name wrong almost every episode <laughs> so now you're probably just doing it on purpose i see right through you i see this, through your bit <laughs> at this point it's you know what? If you talk to any of my friends, they'll tell you that I'm just bad with the English language. <laughs> Until I saw the Harry Potter movies, I read it as Professor uh, Snipe. Oh yeah, and it's like it's like any any idiot could look at that and go, "It's Snape." It's clearly that would Snape. be such a better and different movie if he was <laughs> Professor Snipe. <laughs> now just you... taking out kids, picking them off. <laughs> now you are from all that, but you're actually. Kind of the later years, uh, a little a little after my generation of all that. Yeah, but, not so much your demographic. But, yeah. <laughs> but you get, did get to work with Britney Spears' sister. I did indeed. Yes, I had the pleasure. Yes. Uh, now, for my fans who, like me, weren't really watching all that at that point in time, what were some of your most famous characters on the show? Well, here, I'll kind of explain a little bit of uh, the history of all that and how, you know, I came to be on the show. So basically, um, everyone knows all that from the original days, including myself. Before I even became an actor, I was obsessed with Keenan and Kel and Lori Beth and all their characters on the show. And I would actually, uh, my best friend and I, after school, would like go over to her house and have a tape recorder and like record the, you know, the sketches and our, our characters and try to be as much like them as we could. Um, but, uh, but come season six, a lot of those guys were, you know, getting kind of old and actually like getting married and having kids. So it wasn't really a kids show anymore, even though, you know, everybody wants Keenan and Kel to be 16 years old forever. It's just not going to happen. Um, so come season seven, they decided to do a nationwide casting call to just have a whole new cast to just, you know, a younger, whole new cast and uh, uh, just kind of start fresh. And it was called the new all that. 
the all new all that, I guess. Um, so yeah, then I was one of those seven cast members and, uh, Jamie Lane joined the show, um, on season eight. But, uh, but yeah, that's how that happened. And as for characters, uh, probably my best known, uh, would be Kathy in a sketch called Sugar and Coffee, where we play two hosts of a, like a morning show and we're just super, super hyper and hyped up all the time. And we feed our guests super, like, amounts of sugar and coffee so that they're just as hyper as we are. And it's total Nickelodeon chaos, you know, what you would expect. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what's funny is that, you know, recently Nickelodeon's been doing the uh, the new Midnight Society, the 90s were all that mm-hmm. late night programming. And you do watch these, like, these old sketches and you, like, part of you is like, oh, well, that didn't really hold up that well. Yeah. But at the you- same time, you're like... Eight-year-old me loved this, and yeah. there's a reason for that, is that it does tap in to that kid's sense of humor of just, like, let's throw some shit on a wall and see what happens, and it was... Exactly. It, I think that's... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, what was the writing of the skits, skits like? Because it seems like a lot of it was left open for improv and insanity. Well, uh, I mean, to, to preface uh, that answer, I, I think that you're exactly right, and I think that's why uh, my cast got a lot of unfair criticism by people who were fans of the original cast. Uh, there, I mean, even these days, we look back on these shows uh, through 90s eyes. You know, we, we, we remember them so much funnier than they may even actually be. You know, even watching back on some of the old, you know, all that shows and, and Clarissa, it's like, yeah, I remember this being like 10,000 times funnier than it is right now. But that's, per- that's fine because it was for my eight-year-old demographic. And, uh, and yeah, so our new cast was for a new eight-year-old demographic. So the fans were now like, you know, what, you know, six years too old to, to like our show and appreciate it. So they're like, the new cast sucks. The old cast was way better. But, you know, it's nice that they're, they're airing the old episodes. Cause you know what? You put my episodes next to the old episodes. Yeah, they're pretty similar comedy wise. You know, one's not that much better than the old one, but, uh, but yeah, you know, that's that's what Nickelodeon's all about. It's all about gross and slime and, you know, consuming mass amounts of pie and sugar and, you know, I mean, that, I think that's the main pro- the main difference between uh Disney and Nickelodeon is that Disney uh tends to focus more on like the, you know, the family and togetherness and, you know, good clean PC comedy, whereas Nickelodeon, you know, we had Ren and Stimpy and we had uh, you know, Rocco's Modern Life, which were both super edgy like, you know, adult almost cartoons. So, you know, I, I, I like, I, I like that kind of kid oriented comedy, even though it's gross and crazy. Well, like a Nickelodeon, uh, produced a couple shows that I didn't even appreciate when I was watching it as a kid. Like, it took until 21 for me to realize that Pete and Pete was a brilliant show. So brilliant, right? <laughs> but it goes yeah. over your head when you're eight because you're just like, well, this isn't a cartoon. Like, this exactly, doesn't make any sense. Exactly, exactly. And they've changed it. You know, the old Nickelodeon, we had, uh, you know, Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life. And we had, you know, Pete and Pete. That now, even now, you watch those old children, you're like, oh, my God, like, that was so brilliant it still holds up but it, they've completely stopped doing that on Nickelodeon now you know they have the you know the iCarly and the Victorious and those are just like the Disney shows so it's kind of just like we're Nickelodeon is the new Disney as opposed to being that like you know edgy you know pushing the envelope kind of you know over the top comedy so it's kind of a shame that that's happening these days but you know whatever. well and there's a one of my past guests had a quote where he was talking about watching TV with his niece and he's like, you know, it's really sad when you look at what these kids are watching and it's like, 
what is Hannah Montana's biggest problem? But like, oh, I've got to get this new purse. Versus right. like a generation that grew up watching a movie like Goonies where like their biggest situation was that they were going to be murdered by three <laughs> crazy people. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> yeah, no, you're com- Yeah, that's completely right. I feel, you know what? I think it all started with Bratz dolls. Mother effing Bratz dolls. When those <laughs> things came around, I think that's when all of children's society, TV, comedy, everything went downhill. And now everything's so superficial and so... You know, instant gratification, you know, cheat. I don't know. It's, it's just so sad. Cause yeah, you, a, a show like Pete and Pete would never survive on TV these days, especially on Nickelodeon. Kids just like, I don't get it. I want to watch more iCarly. I don't, let's, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> now, this is the point in the talk show where I ask you a question that I already know the answer to, but I'm doing it subtly so that it seems like <laughs> it's a natural tra- transition. Oh, uh, good. Would you ever get back together with your all that cast and maybe perform skits sometime in the future? Absolutely not. I hate everyone from all that. All the cast members, I cannot stand them. I would never see them again, ever. Oh, wait, it's opposite day. Uh-huh. So we are having a huge reunion um, at Kamikaze Expo, which is actually kind of spearheaded partially by me, so it's even more opposite of what I just said. I (laughs) adore everyone from the old original cast, plus my cast, and in November we're all actually getting together for the first time to do a panel discussion and an autograph signing, and the public is allowed to come. So, totally big deal. I'm pretty excited, and I'm hoping that much like how it took midnight screenings of Monster Squad to get Monster Squad on DVD, that maybe this will help us get a good all-that DVD release. Yeah, no kidding. I I mean, I think the coolest thing is that uh, uh, we had our big 10th year anniversary special, which was televised. Um, but the, the sad part is that we only did a few sketches with the, with the original cast members. We did like one sketch, uh, you know, with Keenan and Kel and another with like Josh Server and Danny Tamborelli. But it was only like the last five minutes of the show that, uh, all the cast members from, you know, all the seasons came on stage and we basically just posed for a picture and the episode was over. So that was the lamest reunion of all time. So this is actually, I think this can be considered the real first ever cast reunion because we're all going to get a chance to to talk about what our experience was on the show, you know? So I, I mean, I personally have so many questions for the, for the original cast. I mean, I'm still Kel's biggest fangirl ever. <laughs> well, and how awesome is it that, you know, someone like Kanan is now on Saturday Night Live when he started on the kids version of Saturday Night Live, essentially. That's right. That's right. It's, I think that's probably the coolest part of all is that, you know, at least one of us got there. You know, I don't know if I would personally ever want to be on Saturday Night Live just because the whole live thing, I don't know, that would maybe send me into a panic attack. Um, but <laughs> it, it, you're right. All that was the, the kids version of Saturday Night Live. And we're, we were the only show that was doing what we were doing. And so it is really cool that, you know, he graduated from the kids version onto the adult version. I'm, I'm so proud of him. And he's such a nice guy. Uh, I actually ran into him at a Gears of War party last year at E3, and I did not think he was going to remember me, because we weren't on the same cast. You know, I was in the later seasons, he was in the earlier. We met at the 10th anniversary special, and that's about it. Oh, and he was a guest on, like, seven season 7 or something like that. But yeah, so I go up to him, and I'm like, hey, uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I... And he's like, Lisa, how's it going? So it was it was so cool. He, like, instantly remembered me. 
That's pretty awesome. And that's cool yeah. to know that he's like that down to earth, but maybe he's just a fan of Escapism magazine. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. He doesn't know me from all that. He only knows me from, from the Escapist. I'm sure that's it. <laughs> now, can you talk a little bit about uh, your work with Escapist? Uh, yeah, I can. I'm actually not doing uh, the show with them anymore. Um, just some behind-the-scenes uh, contractual issues. But yeah, I had a show on there that was a complete one-woman production. Uh, self-produced, self-written, self-filmed, self edited, hosted, everything. Uh, you also uh, forgot self-deprecating. Yes, that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, about uh, obviously about video games. That's kind of my main thing these days. Um, uh, yeah, it was uh, every Tuesday, and it'd be just five minutes of a crazy top five list that you would never normally think of. Like, what are the top five stupidest-looking haircuts in video games? Or the top five best-dressed male characters? Or, you know, sexiest pairs of glasses? It was just, like, completely ridiculous stuff like that. Uh, but I had I had a blast. It was a lot of fun to uh, to do that show for a little while. And I think, like you said, the fact that it was almost all self-produced by you and you alone added to that crazy chaoticness that, <laughs> that makes... I, I feel like I hop on YouTube... And there are so many videos that are just boring. Like, there's yeah. no energy to it. It's just a guy in his room with a camera talking in a monotone about some movie that he watched right. and his opinions of it. But then it's like, you know, you go to your top five stuff or, like, the stuff Michael Swaim does on Crack.com. And you're like, yeah. there's so much energy there. And he's just a joke a second. And, you know, like, you know that that took... That was not a turn on the camera, record, and let's put on YouTube effort. Like exactly, exactly. I mean, that's. I think that actually stems from my all that days. I mean, every single week, especially when before we'd go out into the the live audience, they'd be like, "All right, energy. Like we want energy." It was always about energy, and I think that's just kind of carried on with me through uh, the rest of my life. Everything that I do in the video game industry, in that field, um, I, I like to keep positive and funny because we're talking about video games here. We're not talking about, you know, politics or the Middle East. We're talking about video games. You know, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be funny. I like to keep it lighthearted. And, and yeah, I mean, it was basically just me pumping out a script, you know, putting on a cute outfit, setting up my camera and then testing my lighting and then standing in front of it and doing my thing. And I I mean, yeah, it was it was a lot of hard work, but I must say, I, I I do love my little show. I love the later episodes more than the initial episodes, but but yeah, I, I love my little show. <laughs> now uh, that is sadly all the time we have, but thank you for coming by, Lisa. Uh, I will see you in November, uh, November fifth. Uh, hopefully, we will get to chat a little bit more. I'll have a little booth at the Geekscape booth, hopefully doing some interviews, uh, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Kamikaze Expo is LA's first ever comic book, horror, gaming, sci-fi, fantasy, anime, and pop culture convention. November 5th and 6th at the LA Convention Center. Kids under 12 get in free. Adults are only $12. Tickets are on sale now at kamikazeexpo.com. Kamikaze Expo, November 5th and 6th at the LA Convention Center. I want to see you all at the LA Convention Center. November 5th and 6th, or I'll get mad. And you know something? You wouldn't like me when I get mad. <laughs> All right, and we're back with Sam Humphreys. How you doing? The writer of uh, Our Love is Real. 
That's correct. That's right. And also uh, worked on some Fraggle Rock books. That is also correct. Uh, now, you were telling me earlier that uh, you believe that the elevator in your apartment is haunted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I do believe the, the elevator in my apartment is, is haunted by a, a very temperamental ghost. Uh, also, a, a very slow ghost. Um, and a ghost who needs um, how uh, could could use a self confidence boost. <laughs> uh, the 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 elevator just has this this air this heavy air of just man I don't know if I can do this job and I don't know <laughs> if I'm a good enough elevator. Ah, uh, you want the third floor? Oh, we could try. I'm not gonna make any promises, but we could try. That's just kind of this like sickly vibe you get from inside the elevator <laughs> the uh the elevator at my apartment i am convinced will be what kills me oh um it hasn't been inspected so you've seen in the a, future it hasn't been inspected for about a year <laughs> and a half and it struggles to get oh, things yeah. up and down i'm just like this is the thing that's going to kill me one day i would next time you tell a story you should tell people uh, the elevator is going to be the thing that kills me because i killed its father <laughs> you need to you just you need to take this story to the next level now, we're here to promote Our Love is Real, which you had started off as an independently published book, correct? Mm-hmm. And now uh, Image is going to release it. Absolutely, yeah. Image Comics is going to release it. Uh, the on-sale date for the Image version is November 2nd, so it's coming up. All right, now, is there any way that we, uh, like, how can my listeners get a copy of this, pre-order this? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I started off self-publishing the book, and um, when I did that, I... Uh, I it was basically hand distribution, solo distribution, self-published and self-distributed. Uh, it was available in, in nine stores uh, in the U.S. or eight, eight in the U.S. and one in Canada, um, but which which is a tiny fraction of the drug market. Yeah, uh, and I also did mail order, but because we only had uh, three hundred copies of each. Uh, print run the the mail order the the ones I set aside for mail order went very fast so it was, a lot of people who wanted to get the book couldn't get their hands on the book um, now that images picked it up you know they are a, 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 a top tier publisher they're, they're one of the biggest publishers in the market they have a great relationship with diamond distributor uh, diamond distribution who, who distributes books to virtually every single comic book store in America so no matter where you are in America and in Canada and the UK I should I should specify uh, you can get your hands on a copy of Our Love is Real. Uh, and the best way to ensure that you do that is to use our pre-order app, which we launched a couple weeks ago. All right, now how do they, get, how do, they do that? The, uh, the app is located online. It's on the web. Uh, the URL is bit.ly slash O-L-I-R preorder. So it's bit.ly slash O-L-I-R preorder. O-L-I-R standing for Our Love, love is, is Real, real. of course. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a system that we've made it very simple for, for anyone to pre-order the book. You can choose to uh, either have the book delivered directly to you via mail when it comes out, or you can pick it up at a comic book store near you. Uh, if you choose the latter, we have over 75 fantastic retailers in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., uh, who are standing by to get your pre-orders. So it takes under two minutes. There's one link. Fill a little bit of information, uh, make a choice, and uh, you click send, and the, the pre-order is sent. Um, and, the, and it's a done deal. It's a, you know, I, it's, it, it makes the whole pre-order system very easy, but it also ensures that you will get a copy of the book come November 2nd. Our first uh, printing sold out in uh, under nine hours. The second printing sold out in under a week. Um, so this is the, the best way to guarantee that you feel the love. 
Now, um, you know, when a book goes from hardcover to paperback, there's normally a little extra thing thrown in there to entice the person who bought the hardcover mm-hmm. to go and buy the paperback. Mm-hmm. Is there anything for the people who bought the book when it was a self-published book that they might get something cool out of the new version? No, no? Thanks, thanks for pointing that out. There, there's nothing new in the book. Uh, <laughs> Actually, um, the you know there's a couple of good reasons for that. One is because uh, Image wanted to get the book out as as, as quickly as possible, um, and we already had. And to do that, we had to turn around the print production process uh, in in record time, which we were right. able to do because we we had already published the book first. But you know there were some things we had to massage in terms of you know barcodes and the image logo and that kind of stuff. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for us to really consider what the deluxe edition of Our Love Israel might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, the second reason is because, uh, you know, when, when Image and I were, were discussing the possibility of them releasing the book, I was a little nervous. I had a list about a half dozen things that I thought might be deal breakers for them yeah. in terms of the way that the book is presented. It's, uh, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's not a standard-sized comic book. It's eight inches by eight inches. It's, it's, it's a square book, a, a little wider and a little shorter than you're used to. Yeah. Uh, it's also a black-and-white book, which traditionally does not do very well in the comic book market. Uh, it's also extremely controversial. Uh, we get we get to that a little bit later we, if you want. I, I if you have want, a few questions about that. If later. you want to just pass that over, that's totally fine. <laughs> you know, no big deal. But uh, you know, th- th- there there are a lot of things where I was nervous. Image would say we're, we're going to have to change this. We're going to have to change that. But to their credit, everything on that list, they said, nope, we want to keep it the way that it is. We like the book the way it is. We want to publish Our Love Is Real the way that you have it. We don't want to make any unnecessary changes so in a, in, a, in a very bold fashion they've stood behind that and maybe this will lead to more stories from within that world one day you know absolutely it, it's a question everybody asks uh, for those who haven't read the book the 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 version that has been self-published and the one that's coming out uh with image is a, is a self-contained story it's a done-in-one story uh but it doesn't have it a, a world that we only kind of hint at so uh, you know, I, I do have ideas for other stories in that world. You know, there is room for expansion there. Um, there are no current plans to do that. Yeah. But well, I mean, you look at look at something like Fables. Like the first trade of Fables feels mm-hmm. like just a one and done story. Right. And it took until that second trade where you're like, oh wow, there's this whole world that we can explore. Yeah. In this series. Thank you for for comparing my <laughs> book to Fables. That's amazing. Well, I That's mean, that you just made my day. <laughs> I mean, the only difference is that in Fables you don't see people fucking plants, but not yet you don't. <laughs> not yet. There's still a lot of. Is this where you announce that you're the new writer for Fables? <laughs> oh, good heavens! Good heavens! No. Um, but, you know, this book has just constantly defied expectations. <laughs> I printed 300 copies of the book in July, and I thought I would still have copies of that print left today. Uh, we, we're, we're through the third printing right now, and the image is picking it up, and the, the number of copies out there is about to expand exponentially. Um, and if it does really well for image, I, you know, I'm a, I, guess, I guess all I can say is the, the sky's the limit if yeah. it does well. Well, you... You know, you were. I met you at the Geekscape booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were there every Absolutely. day. A nefarious place to meet somebody. <laughs> selling the book. And I have to say, of all the people who signed there, and I became friends with everybody who was signing there, really, you were mm-hmm. the person who, at the end of the day, came off the most confident in your book. Oh, thank you. By yelling out, like, look, read the first five pages. If you don't like it, I'm going to give you a dollar. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. It's, you know what? Like, as silly as that is, there's not a lot of people who'd be willing to put 
their money where their mouth is. And, and did it work? And it worked. It you absolutely sold, worked. You sold a lot of books, and there were a lot of people that wouldn't even take the dollar. Like you had the dollars to give them when they weren't interested in the book, and there was a lot of people who were like, yeah, no. exactly. They're, they're like, like, no, no that's no. cool. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they enjoyed reading it because yeah. it's you know that's that's market that's guerrilla marketing, and I don't mm. think enough people, especially with a with a median like comic books, really look at guerrilla marketing as a good way to get a new product out there yeah well it's tough you know um because well, yeah you're battling against spider-man and batman and superman yeah. stuff that's been established for years it's... be like we got this book where people have sex with things <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, it's tough for a lot of reasons um i think uh w- one of the reasons is that you know a lot of people learn how to make comics but they don't learn how to market a comic or do public relations for a comic or get the word out there. Um, you know, I, not, not to anybody's fault, but I just think it's something that isn't discussed as much in the comic book industry. Yeah. It's um, kind of just like, Oh, throw it in previews and we'll see what happens. From exactly. There. If you're lucky <laughs> enough to be in previews. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a lot of people, uh, you know, and this is my opinion. Everybody's free, free to disagree with me. I'm sure everyone's relieved to hear that. I've given them permission to disagree <laughs> with me, but, uh, uh, the internet I, will take you up on that. Too. Exactly. I, it's <laughs> it's just such a tough market right now. And if you are a creator, especially if you're an independent creator, it is part is absolutely part of your job to be a marketer for your book. It is absolutely part of your job. A lot of creators just think, I just want to write this book. I just want to draw the book. And that's all I want to do. I absolutely sympathize. Um, I happen to like marketing. Yeah. But I, I it also takes time away from your, your creative endeavors. But I think... Uh, that attitude, um, if you don't have somebody backing you up on the marketing end, is just going to be the death knell for your book or for your career because um, random dude makes a comic book is not a compelling story. Yeah, it, it's it's the most common story in the comic book industry. That's why we have comic books because plenty of random dudes and and dudettes make comic books every day. Um, and if you want people to talk about your book, you have to figure out why. Yeah. You have to figure out what's compelling and what's interesting about your book, and you have to push it. When it comes to marketing and PR in the comic book industry, you set the bar. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, if people are talking about your book, but not as much as you like, like maybe they're at a 3, then you're probably at like a 4 or 5. And if you want people to be talking about your book at like a 6 or 7, you got to be at like an 8. Yeah. Because nobody's going to care about your book as much as you do. Yeah, it's going to like... You know, the guy who runs Geekscape, Jonathan London, sure. you know, he wrote What's a up, book. He, he wrote a book based on one of our past guests, Super Action Man. And, mm-hmm. you know, to John's credit, he sold a few books. But when Super Action Man himself showed up and started pushing the books, that's when they really started to sell. For those who don't know, to, to, for Jonathan to come out as Super Action Man involves him wearing a Speedo. Oh, they're not the same person. I mean, <laughs> there's a very distinctly. <laughs> John happened to walk away. Is that and then what all happened? of a sudden, super, that's it always happens. happens. That's, John that's disappears. Exactly what happened. Well, super, they look totally different. They look, they look very totally different. different. Yeah. John's balding Super Action Man has a lovely mullet of hair. You said John is balding. I didn't say No, he says thing. he points it out. <laughs> now, uh, can we discuss a little bit of the controversy behind sure, Our Love is Real? Yeah. Is it the book um, is about, for those who don't know anything about Our Love is Real, is about mm-hmm. a society in which people don't have sex with people anymore? For the most Not, part, they 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 have sex with animals and and plants and and diamonds you're, and things. Exactly, you're you're right on the right track. I'd I, I clarify in that it's not that people don't have sex with anim, uh, with humans anymore. 
this is this is a sci-fi story. It takes place in yeah. the future, uh, about five years after the end of the AIDS vaccine, uh, or uh, with the the five years after a vaccine that ended AIDS as an epidemic, um, and with the removal of that that palatable sense of fear that uh, the AIDS epidemic has, has cast upon um, sexual relations with humans, uh, in, in, in light of having to be so responsible and, and the, uh, the consequences literally being life and death. Um, when that fear is removed, human sexuality just explodes. And I mean, like imagine like the seventies on crack or there was a lot of crack in the seventies, but imagine like (laughs) with more crack crack of crack, you know what (laughs) I mean? And all of a sudden, like, being gay is like not a big deal anymore. Like, like being gay is like pretty accepted and, and because falling right behind it, or I wouldn't necessarily say falling right behind it, but the, what is considered sort of the, the new alternative lifestyles in these societies are, are these new sort of groups of people that have come out and are making bids for acceptance. Yeah. Uh, and these are people who are romantically and sexually involved with other mammals, specifically one of the main characters in the book is in love with the dog. Which, thank you for giving me one of the most horrifying panels of comic book history. <laughs> it's, it's one of the saddest panels, I it's think. Such it's such a depressing it's, panel, but it's, it's the also the saddest panel just, in the book. You're just like, oh. It's, <laughs> like, I don't think it's giving anything away. I, you know, The so, element of there being lipstick on the dog's mouth is what makes it so just like, what? I'm gonna blame that. I'm gonna blame that one on Stephen Sanders, <laughs> the the art of the fantastic artist who do the book. No, um, but I have I, a question for you. That yeah, sure. In this society, yeah. which of the three groups would you probably end up in? Oh, which would I end up in? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. It's so. Can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. Okay, great. Well, fucking a. Um, I, boy, I mean. <laughs> I didn't really write this from any personal experience, so I would have to say, yes, I'd probably just be like the boringest person in the book and just be like a straight male. But if, if I had to choose one, I guess I would probably be, you know, it's hard to say because in the book, um, who you love is kind of reflected in your personality or maybe the other way around. The lines get really blurred. Yeah. Um, and as much as I hate hippies, I think <laughs> I'd have to be a veggie sexual. See... I was having a discussion about this with a friend of mine today and I was like, I just feel like in, in most cases as, as a straight male, you have to be with animals because you don't really fuck a diamond. A diamond fucks you. It, like, is, yeah. <laughs> like, it is, it is the closest being a zoosexual would be the, the closest thing to having sex with a human. Um, I guess I guess everyone would have to make their own choice. I can't, <laughs> I can't decide for you, dude. I can't make the decision for you. Um, we're running a little bit low on time. We got to go to That's commercial right. break. Sure. But uh, is there anything else you want to quickly promote? Make sure all you guys go to the app. That's and, right. Yeah, uh, that's the the pre-order. URL for that is bitly slash o l i r preorder. So go there, preorder the book. It's coming out November sixth or November second. Um, it's just four dollar book, but I guarantee it's going to blow your mind. Um, you're gonna or, have a lot or of he'll fun. give you a dollar, or or I might <laughs> give you a dollar. Um, it's a uh, or you can go online. You can see a preview that we have on the website, which is ourloveisrealcomic.com. All right, thank you so much, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Are you struggling with debt? Can't make ends meet? 
Do you have a structured annuity or payment that's owed to you by the government, big business, or local library? Do you have a communicable disease that makes it hard to date other people? Have you been or are you now a member of the Communist Party, having trouble sleeping at night, tossing and turning? Do you struggle with your sexual performance in the bedroom, feeling groggy even in the middle of the day, depressed, not enjoying the things you used to do, a keeping track of when to take your medications, can't find duct tape when you need it, are you losing your hair, teeth, or mind, can't wait to refinance your home, second mortgage weighing you down, is your child unpopular at school, does your wife notice something different about you? The law firm of Roybles and Grouch can help. We know how money works. Call the debt experts at 800-555-6969. Don't wait to start your life again. That's 800-555-6968. We know it's hard since the galactic overlords enslaved the populace. Don't let your body be harvested. Call us. 800-555-6869. Ladies and gentlemen, Rune Kincaid. You're playing outside with your buddies on the street. You're loving the summertime and soaking up the heat. The rising temperatures are no cause for alarm. That's just the apocalypse trying to keep you warm. Cause the sun is gonna blow up. The sun is gonna blow up. The sun is gonna blow up and you're gonna burn. Someday sooner than you might think You're gonna want sunglasses and a nice cold drink Everyone you know is gonna die Yeah, your mama and your daddy and your granny gonna fry Invite the neighbors over, it'll be a red giant But not a supernova, cause the sun is gonna blow up The sun is gonna blow up The sun is gonna blow up and you're gonna burn Scientists hypothesized that we could buy some time By burning up Jupiter in the sun We'd have to push it with a rocket ship the size of the Earth And when it got there, it'd be too late Thanks for nothing, science! Scientists are stupid The sun's just gonna blow up And that means you can eat a million calories or join a cult You can rape and pillage Burbank You can smoke a bowl You can buy some Coors Light and give the kids a can Or strip down naked and get yourself a tan Cause the sun is gonna blow up the sun is gonna blow up. The sun is gonna blow up and you're gonna burn. Everybody all together now. That means you, Matt. Here we go. The sun is gonna blow up. Do-do-do. sun is gonna blow up. Do-do-do. The sun is gonna blow up and you're gonna burn. Like a grease fire, like a Molotov, like the Hindenburg, like napalm. Like the time I went to Venice Beach and I forgot to put my sunscreen on, you're gonna burn. Extra crispy, Cajun style, the sun'll make toast of you. Like Hiroshima, like Ghost Rider, it'll roast the ghost of you. Like a human torch that can't flame off, the climate's gonna be the opposite of hot. Like the stare you'd get from Superman if you walked in while he was jerking off, you're gonna burn. That's right, kids. Fucking burn! Okay, that thank was... You, thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. Okay, we're back with Rune Kincaid. Thank you so much for performing that song. What was that called again? The Sun is Gonna Blow Up. Uh, now, do you believe... I can't believe you don't know that. I sang the chorus like 15 times. I just want to double check for those people <laughs> out there. They need to know. All right. I'm messing with you. That's, you better... Be. Now, is that Sun like S-O-N or... No, <laughs> S-U-N. The S-U-N is gonna explode. Okay, okay. Now, I have to say, for starters... And I'm sure you've heard this a million times before, so I know it's not the most original thought. But you have possibly the greatest name. 
I've ever heard. Thank you. Uh, like it's it's one part Thor villain and one part renegade cop from an eighties movie, and it's all made up by my dad. <laughs> it's I like it. Does your dad actually yell Kincaid at you sometimes? <laughs> like Kincaid, you've gone too far this time. No, 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 he doesn't. You and I had very well, different childhoods. A well-behaved child. <laughs> uh, now, how long have you been doing the musical comedy? Uh, somewhere in the range of three years. It's uh, up for debate when it switched from being serious music into comedy. Uh, why did it, you... I have a reason for why I switched into musical comedy. I'm curious what your reasoning it was. It just uh, became laughable. Right. Yeah. More and more of a farce. Worse and worse songs until finally it was so bad. So it was basically... That was the same reason as mine. Was <laughs> Essentially, it's it's solo music for me because I couldn't get a group of people that wanted to play the same music as me. Oh, yeah. I can't stand people wrangling. <laughs> and then uh, it became comedy music after about a year when I was like, man, I'm an awful lyricist. <laughs> and I, was like, oh. I was like, but I can make this work. If, I, if I'm trying to write something serious, it's awful. But if I'm writing it as a mockery of something else then that's trying to be serious, it works as a satire. <laughs> All right. Yeah, kind of similar to that. Also, <laughs> also, I just can't conceive of writing a serious song and playing it for strangers. It just sounds ridiculous. Does it? But do you anymore. ever get annoyed when you actually write something that's not? Every once in a while, like I know I'll write something. I'll be like, "Oh man, that's like a really solid song," but it's definitely not mm. like a comedy song. So I don't know if I'll ever get to play this live. Like it's just like a little personal song that I've written where I'm like, oh. "I did that once. Yeah. I, pl- I played it for a comedy workshop, and they said it might might be too good." And I think that was an overstatement i think they really just didn't like it but, <laughs> but it's possible that uh i'd actually written something a little more sophisticated than usual and killed my own comedy more than say the sun is going to blow up or cop a feel yeah keep it simple <laughs> keep it simple with those now um if any of my listeners out there want to pursue a career in music comedy do you have any uh, advice for them they should definitely ask someone more successful <laughs> would be my advice Find someone with a, a good career going. Uh, now, we were discussing this Flight little... of the Concords. Flight, yeah. Bo Just, Burnham. Ask them. I'm sure it's easy to get them on the <laughs> horn. <laughs> Ask, uh, yeah, Tom Wilson. One of those guys. I love Tom Wilson. He's, so. he's cool. But a lot of people don't seem to even realize, like, yeah, no, Biff from Back to the Future is a music comedian, and he's hilarious. Like He's, he's very good. He's actually from my... Uh, he, I worked with his brother. Uh, at a Home Depot in Pennsylvania, because he's originally from like general area where I live. His All brother right. looks exactly like him. That's spooky. It was real. We were Do like, you think it's possible that they're the same person? It is placed in time. Well, <laughs> it's possible. God damn it, Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we used to joke around because we'd see him and we'd be like, "Dude, it's fucking Biff." Yeah. And like we just joke around, like, "Dude, that looks just like Biff." And then finally, an employee's like, "You realize his brother is really Biff." And we're like, no way. And then, like, What's you know, we saw name? his name was Wilson. Yep, there you so go. I went online. I checked, and I'm like, no, Tom Wilson's from that area. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, so, like, I'm sure he hears it constantly. Yeah, he probably hates it. And I know, like, Tom Wilson has a song about how much he hates it, <laughs> which is actually what got me into Tom Wilson's music comedy in the first place. It's a good place to start, yeah. Uh, where would you recommend good musical comedians for people to start? Good to listen to, yeah. To like, oh. who who inspires you to to do music comedy at this point? Um, oh, Flight of the Concords is fantastic, and Tenacious D is brilliant, and the the Lonely Island. Um, Stephen Lynch is awesome. Nice. 
I've really gotten, uh, I rediscovered, um, he's, he's an old, old, old musical comedian, but, uh, Tom Lear, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his stuff is just, but like, that's like a mathematician doing comedy music, which is just like an extra <laughs> level of outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. That much more strange. That's a good, good gimmick. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I wish I'm I was smart enough it. to write songs about all the elements. Yeah, but I'm not. No, I, I don't want to go that highbrow. <laughs> now, I still want to appeal to young people with disposable income. Now, can we talk a little bit about uh, what your other job is besides musical comedian? I guess or, we could. This uh, will be the first I've I've spoken of it. It was a secret for a while. Oh, uh, well, the secret's out of the bag now officially. Yeah. When you say, what do you do besides musical comedy? Video director for Loveline. And when you say you're a video director for a radio show, <laughs> it sounds like that means you don't do anything. <laughs> but they pay me, so I must be doing something. It's a good philosophy. Yeah. it's a, It's been uh, a few months, and they're still kind of sorting out what form it's actually going to be when it uh, hits the people. <laughs> right now, it's a bit of a YouTube highlight kind of thing. So we're looking at the radio show, taking out the highlights, and showing them off. The dream is to someday show the entire radio show live. Because it's, it's, it is its own comedy beast, and I'm happy to, to work on it and be employed full-time. I, in my opinion, you know, for years, Howard Stern put his radio show on television. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, Loveline did have its TV show time for MTV, but I just think the show Loveline works better as a TV show than Howard Stern's radio show did. Like, yeah. it actually has a format <laughs> that people at home can watch. That's true. <laughs> It uh, it's a good show. I sit through it every night, one way or the other, and I usually enjoy it. <laughs> How, can you give us a story of a time when you didn't enjoy it? Um, well, I I, I don't enjoy when the guest uh, dive bombs the energy level, and that can happen when you invite someone else into your studio. Yeah, but uh, you know, most of them are are pretty energetic people since they're famous and stuff. And do you have you gotten to meet any personal heroes of yours while working on Loveline? I got to meet Chris Jericho. That was my favorite. That's pretty so awesome. Far. That was my favorite guest so far. Uh, one of the first guests on the show is a director friend of mine from Philly named Tommy Avalone. And he does, every one of his movies, he puts a different wrestler in it. And he's trying to get <laughs> Chris Jericho in it. But his first, the first movie he ever made, Blue Meanie, was in it. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, all I want because in my movies is tits. And wrestlers. Yeah, because if you try one wrestler per movie for an entire career, you might find one that can act. Yeah. Oh, cheap shot oh, at wrestlers. Zing. I love them, though. Oh, Blue Meanie was pretty bad. I love Blue Meanie, and he's awesome, <laughs> but he didn't give a performance that was anything different than what you see Blue Meanie in the ring do. Oh, well, you know, the range. Range, exactly. You, there's only, you know, for every Dwight Johnson, who's finally dropped the rock. Dwayne. Dwayne. I said Dwight because yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah. But, you know, he finally know dropped the Rock title. <laughs> but for every one of those, there's like a million Hulk Hogan's. Yeah. <laughs> suburban Commando. Don't talk shit on Suburban Commando. It's one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd got frozen in that movie. No, it does have its strong points. That's twice. Twice we brought up Christopher Lloyd films in a, a 10-minute interview. My bad. Which further... No, that's a good thing. It proves he that he is a cinematic... He's a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. Everything he touches is gold. I just watched Clue the other day because someone told me they had never seen it. <laughs> I was like, "You need. We need to rectify." I'm forcing you to yeah. watch Clue. Yeah, we need to rectify this. You're missing out on the best thing that 1984 had to offer. 
a movie based on a board game. <laughs> right. The, the, original, the original movie based on a board game. Until until Battleship comes out, I'm yeah. going to defend that Clue is the only movie that did it correctly. Well, it'll probably hold up through, <laughs> well through Battleship and beyond. There is not a single thing in the trailer for Battleship that makes me go, oh, I remember when that happened when I was playing Battleship. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's the lack of lack of pegs. Really. Uh, Matt Matt Blackwood, uh, comedian out here that I know, does a joke about the what the trailer for Battleship should be, which is literally just like B seven. We have a miss, Captain. We have a miss. B nine. Miss again. I swear to God, he was just there. Is he going diagonal? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I do hope there's accusations of foul play. There has to be accusations of foul play. There has to be someone, who's a boat magically on top of another boat, because that oh, was the yeah. move I used to do, because I was a cheater. What happens if you have two boats on top of each other? Do they take hits at the same time? I pretend that they do not. So one, one ship defends the other ship <laughs> by being exploded to pieces exactly. on top of it. Exactly. That's logical. That's, well, listen. I'll buy All it. I'm saying is that if you look at the pieces of Battleship, the carrier has holes for you to put a boat on it. <laughs> a boat carrier. Yes, the boat carrier has holes for a boat to be placed on it. So I'm saying that the creators of Battleship were like, no, this is perfectly acceptable yeah. for for this to occur when Matt Kelly's cheating in the game Battleship. That's right. They clearly thought out every angle. Every nook and cranny. It's an Easter egg. It Exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's an Easter, it's the DVD special feature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... Now, what do you do? You have any plans to continue doing the Rune Kincaid music? I know that you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, on Fridays and Saturdays. On Fridays and Saturdays and, when you're available. Kind of taking it more in a recording direction for the time being. I just did two songs for an animated feature that's oh, nice. called the the Tur- the Trouble with Turkle. It is a uh, Dutch movie, it's being revoiced in English, and I revoiced two of the songs and did a little uh, little production, little reworking. A little re- rewording to make it English. So cop the field and make it in there. No, they weren't. Uh, they weren't my songs. They're written by <laughs> a, a Dutch person. Were and, they catchy uh, enough? Uh, one of them's real catchy. The other one. Uh, the other one. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is also catchy. <laughs> if you listen to it enough times. And the, like most, there. Did you see the movie uh, Repo: The Genetic Opera? Yeah, of course. Twice, so what least. you're saying is that it's kind of the same issue that I have with Repo the Genetic Opera of like how do you make a 90 minute long film with not a single catchy song in the entire? Oh, musical? I think there's a couple catchy songs. Oh, in there. I was not digging that movie. I think I think there's a couple catchy songs and that the rest of it is truly an opera and there's a lot of 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 uh, melodrama in the strict sense of telling the story through music. So there's a lot of stuff that gets the narrative moving, not necessarily your feet. <laughs> in it, but I I, th- I think it's got its catchy moments. Yeah. I like that movie. I won't defend it till I die because I know there's so many people who would uh, would like to see it burn. Yeah, I I mean I, it's not like the worst film I've ever seen. But no, no, of course not. I, someone was like, "Oh, you like Rocky Horror? You're gonna love this." And I'm like, "No." See, I'm the other way around. Yeah. I don't like. I can't stand Rocky Horror, and I like Repo. Now, have you seen so Shock just, Treatment? No. Uh, I actually recommend Shock Treatment. I think it's a better movie. Oh, okay. All around. Uh, catchier songs, less... Uh, it's a slightly smarter plot, and it's a less uh, abrasive 
plot, right. I guess is the word I'm looking for. I'll consider it. It it basically takes place in a world where the entire town is a TV station. And everybody that lives in that town is either an audience member or an actor in the TV show. Oh, and it right. almost like predicted reality TV like 20 years yeah, before it became smart. huge. And it's just got all these surreal moments of like... You know, pulling someone from the audience onto a game show, and then they win the game show. And next thing they know, you know, they have their own TV show that everyone's watching, and like it, it just kind of that is reality TV. Yeah, it talks a lot about the like celebrity, which I thought was very interesting. Right. Uh, the reason most people don't like it is because it's called a Rocky Horror sequel, when really it's just written by the people who did Rocky Horror and Brad and Janet are in it. Gotcha. Like, All right, I'll, I'll tone wise, completely different movie. I'll give it a shot. You should, okay. and if you dislike it, then. Uh, you're not welcome back on the show. Okay. <laughs> I get all my plugs in now. Uh, yeah, uh, it's starting to run low on time for this particular episode, but as you said, plugs. What what else would you like to plug? Where can people find your music? Where can they find more about what's happening with Loveline? Yeah, you can always find all of my stuff at runekincade.com. R-H-U-N-E-K-I-N-C-A-I-D. I spell it because people get it wrong, and I don't buy the URLs to account for that. <laughs> to redirect them um that's got you know my twitter my facebook my mp3s music videos everything of that nature uh loveline you go to lovelineshow.com and someone else is in charge of all that stuff <laughs> all right thank you chico's vibe play us out Special thank you to Sam Weller for doing one of the fake commercials, and a special thank you to Kamikaze for lining up the Lisa Foyles interview and also sending us a commercial for Kamikaze. Go check that out if you're in the L.A. area on November 5th and 6th.